0: It's the media buzz meter with Howard Kurtz. This is my favorite item from the Super Bowl and has nothing to do with sports. Elon Musk, who was at the game in Arizona, was tweeting away on Super Bowl Sunday and he was unhappy that he wasn't getting that many views for his tweets. So, according to a report by an outfit called Platformer, he then had his engineers working late that day to change the algorithm to prioritize his personal tweets. Now, and that, they took him out of these filters that are designed to improve the quality of all of our timelines. You know, in other words, to serve up things we'd most be interested in. Uh, he was then removed from that, and his visibility for his tweets was boosted by a thousand, by a factor of a thousand. <laughs> um, and he was tweeting uh, messages of support for the Philadelphia Eagles, or I think he deleted one of those when the Eagles fell way behind in the second half. He got less engagement than President Biden, who's, you know, it's Grant and Joe is also rooting for the Eagles. Um, but Musk has 129 million followers. Uh, Biden's presidential account has 37 million of followers, you know, I I can't get that excited about this. I mean, the guy spent $44 billion to buy this company. If he wants to boost his own tweets, which I find interesting anyway, so be it. You can always mute them. Um, but it does give you a little bit of insight into how much he cares about stirring things up and, um, engagement, and all of that. Uh, The rest of us, of course, have to live by a different set of rules. Okay, a potential shakeup in the world of birth control. Uh, This is an item from the website Study Finds. A male contraceptive pill could create an on-demand way for men to prevent pregnancy. I mean, I've never heard anything like this. Um, NIH, this is not, you know, some wacky theory, says this, this drug, which obviously has not been fully tested and approved, uh, blocks a fertility protein for 24 hours. So men could take this contraceptive right before sex and still get full protection. Um, and that would be preferable, the advocates say, to women having to you know, be on birth control all the time. Um, so they experimented on uh, mice, and it didn't have any bad side effects. There were mice that mated, but there were no pregnancies. Um, but the compound would, would wear off three hours later with the male mice recovering their fertility right after. So you can start the clock if you take one of these pills. I mean, seriously, this sounds like a important advance. All right, let's get a Trump item out of the way here. I mean, this is a process story right now that I'm about to share with you. potentially interesting one. Federal prosecutors uh, who are doing the investigation into Trump, according to the New York Times, and according to two people familiar with the matter, are trying to get testimony from Trump's lawyer. Now, the reason that is eyebrow-raising, noteworthy, and kind of a holy S thing for people who follow this sort of thing is there's a pretty strong presumption of attorney-client privilege. You know, you hire a lawyer, giving you confidential advice. Maybe you told the lawyer you were guilty or other things that can't be shared, although that's then an ethical problem for the lawyer. Um, But it's highly unusual for prosecutors to try to get, it's called a crime fraud exception, where you say, this is so important that we have to suspend attorney-client privilege. And it has to do with the collection of the documents at Mar-a-Lago, the classified documents. Now, this has to do with a Trump lawyer named Evan Corcoran, who was involved in the negotiations uh, with DOJ during the subpoenas for classified documents, that the ones that Trump took to Mar-a-Lago. Uh, after The former president voluntarily turned over an initial batch to the archives. Uh, Corcoran met with investigators, handed over uh, more than 30 documents in response to the subpoena, and then, of course, came the court-approved raid, and there were still more documents. Corcoran recently testified before a grand jury here in D.C. is believed, the Times says, to have asserted attorney-crime privilege on behalf of Trump and refusing to answer certain questions. The reason this is significant is not just that it's such an unusual step, but it sort of suggests that the special counsel, Jack Smith, is strongly considering some kind of obstruction charge against the foreign president. I had thought, you know, even before Joe Biden had his various problems with classified documents, not to mention Mike Pence, I had thought the one thing the Justice Department won't do is they won't bring an obstruction charge because. It doesn't get to, it's a process thing. Again, look, obstruction of justice, I take it very seriously. I'm not saying that anybody who committed obstruction of justice should just be let off the hook because it's not as bad as maybe some other alleged crimes. But the important signal from this maneuver is that The special counsel has taken this very seriously and wouldn't go to this trouble, you would think, unless he was seriously considering an obstruction of justice charge. Now, in the end, that may fizzle. I'm still not convinced there'll be any indictment against Donald Trump, but that's why I'm sharing this with you. Okay, there's a nominee for a seat on the FCC, Federal Communications Commission, Gigi Sohn, and she had already drawn flack from Republicans because even after she was nominated, She made a bunch of contributions to Democratic senators, who, by the way, would be voting on her nomination. It's not unusual for somebody who's had past contributions, but that seems a little unseemly. Well, they got into it at a hearing yesterday, Ted Cruz and the nominee Gigi Sohn, over Fox News. Because um, apparently she had tweeted at some point or said at one point that Fox News has played a role in destroying democracy. So Senator Cruz says, millions of Americans watch Fox News. You believe Fox News. This is you tweeting that Fox News plays a role in destroying democracy. You understand why millions of people don't think you're fair and impartial to regulate communications? And Sohn's response was, Fox News is not regulated by the FCC. It is true. Cable networks are not directly regulated by the FCC. And then Cruz says, well, let me ask you a question. Is M- oh, she had said that part of her criticism was that Fox News, in her opinion, was very, very close to the Trump administration. So Cruz says, is MSNBC very, very close to the Biden administration? And someone says, I haven't the slightest idea. I don't watch it. You don't watch MSNBC? I do not. I don't watch CNN either. I listen to NPR. I don't know. If you're going to have somebody who's going to be on the FCC, wouldn't they have some passing familiarity with television? Um, and also in the past, according to Cruz, Sohn has asked the FCC to re- to revoke Sinclair's broadcast license. Sinclair, large collection of TV stations, that, uh, whose national commentary uh, is definitely on the conservative side. So... Fair and balanced? I don't know. You know, I just... I hesitated to talk about this yesterday just because it's so depressing. But the shootings at Michigan State, three people dead, five people injured, the gunman who nobody can quite figure out, 41-year-old gunman who didn't go to the school, nobody can quite figure out what the motive was, then kills himself. And... What's really heartbreaking about this, because I've talked at length on the podcast about the scourge of mass shootings, and this is, America's the only country where this takes place, just given the, the amount of guns in circulation here. Um, it happened on the five-year anniversary of the shooting at the Florida High School. And there's at least one student there who had survived some previous school shooting, so it, it's become so routine now that it, you then get the question of, well, how much coverage does this get? It got a lot of coverage yesterday. We'll be getting a lot of coverage for days to come. I mean, three people dead, five people injured is, is horrifying. But it's not 10, it's not 20, and it's just the idea that this would happen on the five-year anniversary just drives home how what, how, how, what uh, difficult subject this is and basically how nothing much is going to be done about it. I mean, President Biden's call for reinstating the ban on assault weapons is just simply not going to happen with the Republican House. Okay, story number one. Twists and turns of the UFO mystery. Top White House officials saying yesterday that these three unidentified flying objects that were shot down on three different days by U.S. fighter jets might turn out to be harmless commercial or research efforts that pose no real threat to the United States. This sounds like, never mind. I mean, we're all going nuts here, feeling like U.S. airspace has been invaded. Um, And here we have the American military shooting down these objects, one over Alaska, one over Canada, one over Lake Huron, uh, and John Kirby said investigators haven't found any evidence that the three objects this is, uh, you know, were connected to the Chinese balloon surveillance program. So the operating assumption had been, and this is reflected in a lot of the media coverage, of course this was China. Uh, these were other kinds of spy spycraft, uh, and we just have to find out what they were, and this is outrageous, and we have to tighten the defenses and, uh, of our airspace in North America, and that last point absolutely stands. Uh, Kirby saying military and intel officials found nothing to suggest the three objects were part of an intelligence collection by another country. So what is this crap? Is it just space junk? Why can we not figure this out? With all of our technological prowess, we haven't seen any indication. Uh, This points specifically to the idea that these three objects are part of the PRC's spying program, that would be the People's Republic of China. So, um, we also got confirmation, this had already been reported by the media, um, that the first missile fired at the jet, excuse me, at the target, the thing, the UFO, over Lake Huron, this was on Sunday, missed. And then the second one was successful. Um Everyone's talking, acting like this is the first time we've ever seen these things, said Marco Rubio. No, it isn't. So what happened is there, was a, there have been classified briefings now from members of Congress about this. And so they then go to reporters and, you know, give a sanitized version of what they've been told. Here is a, a Senate Foreign Relations Committee member, Jim Risch, saying the last three that were shot down were very, very small objects, he said one of the three was carrying a payload. Uh, FAA had determined the objects were not operated by the U.S. government, could be private companies or research institutes. CNN had to change a headline from Debris of Downed Objects May Never Be Recovered, official warns, to White House Says Leading Theory is Objects Shot Down Were Benign Balloons. Well, if you're going to have balloons, I prefer they be benign. I like the kind that you go and get a whole bunch of them for a birthday party. The spy balloons, not so much. So I don't know. If it turns out that these are just harmless objects, if it turns out that these are, you know, put up by private companies, isn't that going to be a pretty big embarrassment to the United States of America? I mean, I'm not sh- saying that out of a, a excess of caution, we shouldn't go after these things. And, you know, unlike... The spy balloon, which was at sixty thousand feet, about twice as high in the atmosphere as commercial jetliners. Some of these things are twenty or forty thousand feet, so there is this danger that it interferes with your jet flight. So I'm worried about that too. But it is—it's almost like they're waving us off. But we shall monitor the progress. We'll get back to you, whatever. Okay, number two. And this story has a kind of a sad kicker. So Dianne Feinstein putting out a statement yesterday she will not run for re-election next year. She's the longest serving woman in the Senate 30 years in the United States Senate. Um, and so everybody started praising her yesterday from President Biden on down for what a f- incredible career she's had. When I say everyone, I mean mostly Democrats, of course. And my reaction was, well, I'm glad she did this because these other Democrats, supposedly with a acquiescence from Feinstein, have been openly declaring for her seat. Congresswoman Katie Porter, Congressman Adam Schiff, Congresswoman Barbara Lee. You know, what happens is these seats in California open up very rarely. And so if you can get one, uh, like, like Barbara Boxer, you, you could serve for 25, 30 years because it's a blue state. And if you win as a Democrat and you don't completely screw it up, you're probably set. So, like, you know, who knows how many people are going to run? So it wasn't officially open, but everybody was jumping in. So now you have Katie Porter and Adam Schiff praising uh, her, one of the finest legislators we've ever known, Adam Schiff said. Um, But Since she's 89 years old, you know, in recent years, there's been a lot of questions about the level at which she can perform. For example, she was forced out as a top Democrat on the Senate Judiciary Committee uh, a couple of years ago after the Amy Coney Barrett hearings. Um, Patty Murray praised her, proved beyond a shadow of a doubt women senators were more than equal to our male counterparts. Okay, but here's the part that just made my heart sink. Later in the day, on Tuesday, reporters at the Capitol saw Diane Feinstein and asked about her announcement. And she said, I haven't made that decision. A Feinstein staffer then told her, we put out the statement. You put out the statement, the senator replied, looking surprised. So either she's so confused that she didn't know the staff was doing this in her name, or the staff was doing this in her name, to get this over with because they couldn't get her to authorize it or it was just some kind of miscommunication but man, I, I expected you know, the stories today I'm seeing aren't even mentioning this they're just barreling ahead okay, she's retiring next year and here are all the people who want her job uh, alrighty I guess the fact that she didn't know about an advance or we forgot I mean, I don't know what to say at this point but it was just kind of a sad moment. Hey, let's pause right there. The buzz meter continues right after this. This episode is brought to you by Shopify, whether you're selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing. However you cha-ching from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the, we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash offer. Number three, this is a really important story that appears in Reason Magazine. And it has to do with something called the Global Disinformation Index. It's a British outfit that purports to evaluate how susceptible news outlets are, to disinformation and ultimately persuade advertisers not to spend their money on whatever are seen as dangerous publications and websites. So Reason has uh, more than a uh, a theoretical interest in this because one such publication named by the Global Disinformation Index is Reason Magazine, saying that... uh, Advertisers and the ad tech industry have to assess the reputational and brand risk when advertising with anybody who's on their S list, right? It's almost like a blacklist. But why should we care about some British outfit? Because it's subsidized for this work by our very own U.S. State Department. The National Endowment for Democracy, a nonprofit, has gotten $330 million in taxpayer money. From the State Department, and then contributed hundreds of thousands of dollars to GDI, this Global Disinformation Index, according to an investigation by the Washington Examiner. So, the question posed here is should the State Department spend public money to help an organization pressure advertisers to punish US media companies? The answer, quite obviously, is no, says Reason, and I agree why does the State Department have to fund this research, and is this research biased? Uh, And when you get to the list here, and I'll get to that in a second, Washington Examiner was also on the list of, you know, risky media companies' susceptibility to these lies and so forth. Um, So, reason is even more dangerous than the Washington Examiner. And then there is, on the list, the New York Post. Real Clear Politics, The Daily Wire, The Blaze, OAN, The Federalist, Newsmax, The American Spectator, and The American Conservative. Now, is it a sheer coincidence that all of these are on the right? How objective could this outfit be if it's just going through the list? The New York Post, Ben Shapiro's Daily Wire, OAN, Federalist. I mean, come on. This is, would be laughable if it wasn't so serious. So, what about reason? So, what was the explanation? No information regarding authorship attribution, pre-publication fact-checking, or post-publication correction processes. Okay, Um, GDI did not respond to a request for comment, but what reason says in its defense is, first of all, uh, the authorship of reason articles is clearly communicated to readers, reason writers link to their sources, and promptly make and note corrections whenever appropriate. It's true that Reason does not specifically police disinformation in the comments section uh, because that clashes with this philosophy of free minds and free markets. So if you want to ding them for allowing all kinds of garbage in the comments section, fine. It takes a lot of manpower that small publications don't have. And that even big publications have given up on, on that. But if you're talking about the journalism that appears in Reason, it seems to me they've knocked down every argument made by this, you know, somewhat shadowy group. A better uh, evaluation, according to Reason, is NewsGuard. Now, I know some of the people involved in NewsGuard, and it really does strive to be objective. NewsGuard, when it comes to sort of, uh, you know, credibility, and it's uh, co-founded by a former publisher of the Wall Street Journal, gives Reason a score of 100 out of 100 it gives the Washington Examiner a score of 92.5 out of 100. So there. This is just a coincidence. I'm mentioning it, but it also highly rated media buzz as a source of fair, accurate, and objective information. Now, what about the lowest risk online news outlets, according to the British Global Disinformation Index? Oh, well, uh, let's see here. NPR, AP, New York Times, ProPublica, Insider, USA Today, Washington Post, BuzzFeed, Wall Street Journal, and Huff Post. And Reason says look, a lot of admirable journalism is produced by these outfits, but they're not immune to disinformation. Huff Post, as an example, repeatedly suggested that the New York Post's infamous Hunter Biden laptop story was Russian misdirection. NewsGuard gives Huff Post a score of 87.5 out of a hundred. So I just wanted to share that with you because it just seems like another, you know, it's important to call out media bias, but when the people doing the calling out are themselves so biased that they see one side of the ideological spectrum as being good and fair and admirable and wonderful. And they see the other side of the ideological spectrum being suspect and, um, subject to uh, propaganda and lies and so forth, you got to question whether or not this is not about disinformation. It's about conservative versus liberal. It's about blackening the reputation. And more than that, trying to get advertisers not to put their money into, so basically trying to push an ad boycott and drive out of business media outlets that have a different point of view than this group. That's what's going on here. I right, number four. I meant to get to this yesterday. There's a lot of times I just can't squeeze things in unless you want to spend half the day with me and hang around while I make lunch and that sort of thing. But it's troubling and I want to adopt a serious tone for this. Uh, this happens to be a New York Times write-up, but a lot of people reporting on this report by the CDC. Nearly three in five teenage girls felt persistent sadness in 2021 double the rate of boys, and one in three girls seriously considered attempting suicide. Now, if that doesn't stop you in your tracks, I don't know what does. And given that I know a lot of teenagers, uh, it kind of matches my gut instinct. But here is the CDC survey. Uh, Given to teenagers across the country, showed high levels of violence, depression, and suicidal thoughts among lesbian, gay, and bisexual youths. More than one in five of these students reported attempting suicide in the year before the survey. So this is seriously depressing, and depression is part of the study. The rates of sadness are the highest reported in a decade. Uh, Official from the CDC, Kathleen Ethier, saying, there's really no question what this data is telling us. Young people are telling us they are in crisis. Um, And then there's another expert, a doctor from New York City, quoted as saying, there was a mental health crisis before the pandemic. It just didn't catch everyone's attention the way it does now. She says she's seeing more young patients test positive on screenings for depression. The pandemic led to more social isolation, a risk factor for depression. And this uh, particular doctor, Corey Green, also pointing out that depression symptoms sometimes manifest differently in boys and girls. Although girls with depression have persistent or often have persistent feelings of sadness and hopelessness, boys with depression often exhibit irritability or aggression. Um, also says that on some scores, in some respects, uh, these teens, according to the survey, reporting lower rates of illicit drug use and bullying at school. Teenagers are having less sex with fewer sexual partners. But, and these numbers are just gut-wrenching, about 57% of girls and 69% of gay, lesbian, or bisexual teenagers reported feeling sadness every day for at least two weeks during the previous year. And 14% of girls said they've been forced to have sex at some point in their lives, as did 20% of gay, lesbian, and bisexual adolescents. Uh, so that is uh, kind of eye-opening as well. Um, also, when you break it down by race, black and Hispanic students were more likely to report skipping school because of concerns about violence. White students were more likely to report experiencing sexual Violence. Uh, More girls than boys reported being cyberbullied. One in five said they'd be the target of uh, online bullying. Almost double the 11% of boys. And just to close out what clearly is uh, some hard truths that we have to not just digest, but figure out ways to do something about. In 1982, there were 250 emergency room visits by suicidal adolescents. By 2010, that was 3,000. Last year, 8,000. So, you know, the numbers don't lie. And even though a lot of these attempts are unsuccessful, some are successful. And, you know, think about the mental health problems that young teenagers, especially girls, have to have to be thinking about suicide or attempting suicide. Uh, If this isn't a wake up call, I don't know what is. Hey, let's pause right there. The buzz meter continues right after this. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive help supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious lolly Focus Pops or lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Story number five. Let's talk about podcasts. One of my favorite subjects. Well, it turns out the podcast Gold Rush is over. Um... I've seen several pieces on this. I happened to um, click on one in the New York Times that says that Spotify, which was determined it was going to be an absolute major player in podcasts, spent more than $1 billion just in recent years acquiring these exclusive deals with Joe Rogan, Kim Kardashian. But last month, it reduced its podcast staff for the third time in five months, and the chief content officer resigned. Two other big players in the uh, podcast world, Vox Media and Pushkin Industries, announced layoffs last month. Amazon, SiriusXM, NPR, Spotify all have curbed their podcast budgets over the last year, sometimes allowing expensive deals to expire. Uh, Here's a quote from Eric Newsom of Magnificent Noise. There's a name for you. The dumb money era is over, he says. People had been throwing money at things just to see if they could get in and scale up audience quickly, but now everyone's being a little more conservatives. conservative. Um, so it's not that everyone's pulling out of podcasts, And in fact, overall downloads of podcasts continue to rise. So there is an audience out there, a growing audience for podcasts But you start spending hundreds of millions of dollars on individual podcasters. The question is, do you get a return on your money? So here's some interesting numbers. Um, Since 2014, and that's kind of considered a a good starting point, because that was the year that the unbelievably popular podcast Serial debuted, you know, with investigations of um, crime. The percentage of Americans, 12 and over, who've listened to a podcast has jumped from 30% to 62% for a total of $177 So 6 in 10 Americans now listen to some form of podcast or podcasts. And that led to Spotify jumping in with all these exclusive deals. Amazon doing the same thing. Spotify paid $230 million from Gimlet Media. About $200 million for The Ringer, which is Bill Simmons's sports media company. I mean, a lot of people got rich during the gold rush, folks. Um, Sirius XM paid $325 million for the platform Stitcher. So, you know, more power to people who are able to make the big bucks uh, in the podcast biz. But you know, like any other business, everybody else then tries to jump in and there's a bidding war and it's great for the people at the time. And then, you know, some of these outfits just spend way too much money. They're not getting much return. I mean, it seemed for a time that, I mean, I'm a I'm fairly early entrant into the podcast wars. And then I, you know, suddenly everybody at Fox had a podcast. Not that I was the first one, but, uh, you know, we've obviously caught on to some extent. Uh, And then you'd read, you know, uh, Harry and Meghan have a podcast and Hillary Clinton has a podcast. And it's just like anybody. It almost became like if you didn't have a podcast, there was something wrong with you. Why aren't you podcasting, dude? Uh, Now, all this money being thrown at all these people, uh, I don't have to worry about because I don't get an extra cent for doing this podcast. I have just took it on voluntarily as part of my job at Fox, and the people at Fox do a good job of supporting it, and we've had pretty good levels of success. But it does make me wonder, hmm, is there a way to monetize this a little further? Well, I'll give that some thought, and with that, I will thank you for your undivided attention, or even your divided attention. Uh, Maybe if I get some more subscriptions, I can get some of the ad money. I don't know. Amazon Music is one place to subscribe. You know I'm being facetious, and this is the part of the podcast, where I say, see you tomorrow with more BuzzMeter. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts and via Apple Podcasts, and Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on Amazon Music.